This week on the Watson Weekly, we have a very special episode of the podcast. I'm speaking with the CEO of ShipBob, Drew Saxena, about how mid-market companies scale their fulfillment. It's a wide-ranging conversation on the origins of ShipBob itself, but most especially, the challenges that every brand faces when moving from hundreds of shipments a month to thousands. How do you find and adopt the software, services, and expertise you need to reach the next level? Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast. I'm pleased to have with me here the CEO of ShipBob, Dhruv Saxena. Dhruv, you founded ShipBob in 2014. I, I noticed that you were an electrical engineer. Speaking from another electrical engineer who is now in e-commerce, how did you get here? Yeah, it's it's a long story, but I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here finally. Rick, thank you for hosting me and having me on this podcast. Our backstory on ShipBob is we, both me and my co-founder, Divay, we grew up in India. So we came to the U.S. in 2007 to pursue engineering. So that's, I went to Purdue uh, for electrical engineering. And after both me and him, he went to UFI uh, for computer engineering. We both graduated, moved to Chicago uh, in 2012, and I'm working as a software engineer uh, at a startup in Chicago. And on nights and weekends, as all good engineers do, which I'm sure you were part of too, (laughs) We had a lot of different businesses on for our nights and weekends. And one of those businesses uh, was in e-commerce, effectively. And being engineers, we were able to automate all of the steps in that e-commerce operations, except this part around shipping and logistics. Hmm. And so, you know, that became... uh, And so we made a bunch of calls. I'm sure we'll get into this. Uh, We were trying to not have to handle all of the shipping, all of the inventory management, all of that uh, essential stuff for running the e-commerce business. And we made a bunch of calls to existing solution providers in the space uh, called 3PLs, third-party logistic providers. Uh-huh. None of the 3PLs wanted to work with us because we were too small for them. And so that became... When, sort of, when, you, say, when you say too small, how, how small were you at the time? Oh, we were doing maybe like 400 orders a month, maybe in that ballpark, 400, a good month, maybe like 600 to 1,000. Got it. And and so 400 orders a month, these three PLs don't want to work with you. What, what, do you, what do you, did you find at the time? What was the cutoff threshold? Oh, I think the, at that time, 2014, the cutoff, we would have to grow at least 10x larger wow. in that 10,000, maybe 20,000 orders a month for us to be considered interesting for the three PL sales reps to pick up the phone and, and engage <laughs> with us. Uh, uh, because I think there's a lot of and, and there is no fault, like the incumbents, the way it was designed is because most 3PLs have these massive fixed cost investments they have made. And so it makes sense for them to amortize those fixed costs with scale of package volume. And most of that scale on package volume comes from the largest of the largest shippers. And so, you know, it, it would be so much harder for them to onboard thousand small brands versus one very large brand and generate the same amount of outbound shipping volume. Right. And not to mention, they have to pay for those expensive facilities, which is a big issue if you, with uh, a few orders a month. That's fascinating. ShipBob today, look, from 2014 to 2023, that's impressive for any company. Most startups don't survive a year. And so I'm sure your journey has been crazy. How, how large, I mean, whatever you're comfortable sharing, how large is ShipBob today and how fast is it growing? Um. Yeah, so... We we have of course uh, been um, a beneficiary of the tailwinds on the 
broader SMB e-commerce space. And so without sharing a whole lot, uh, we approximately would process anywhere from four to five billion dollars of GMB through our platform. And so and year on year, this year has also been a pretty strong growth year for us. So we are up, you know, close to 60-ish percentage points year on year. So continuing to see great momentum at our scale as the numbers get larger, of course, it gets harder. But hey, e-commerce broadly, you know, is doing well in pockets. Uh, and, you know, it's such a massive space. Uh, so we're continuing to grow. grow it, it. It's, it's fascinating. Look, by any measure, 60% year over year is, I don't care who you are, let's even use Shopify's number, something like 18, 20%. That's three times Shopify's growth. What do you attribute that to from a from a volume point of view? Are other people consolidating? Or are they just mod- meeting their needs? Or are other facilities shutting down? Or what what's happening? Yeah, so maybe a couple of factors. One, um, you know, Shopify's base is just so much higher, um, and so for at that scale to grow at twenty to twenty five percent for Shopify scale is is yeah. very very impressive, and so. On the macro side, you can see, okay, Shopify continues to grow at 20-25%. Companies like ShipBob are much smaller than Shopify, so we are sort right. of growing into uh, these big numbers. But I think maybe on the macro side, a couple of factors, and all of this growth for ShipBob is organic, so we haven't really consolidated or acquired any uh, other companies right. in this space. And so one, I guess two factors. One is our existing merchants on our platform are growing on, on Shibob, and so that helps our revenue growth as well. And so that's a function of us adding new capabilities, which allows them to sell into new channels. We introduced TikTok, for example. We introduced Global, so that means as a brand, you can take advantage of Shibob's global network um, you know, and have inventory closer to the end shopper. We've added a lot of new geographies in the U.S., to help place our brand's inventory closer to the end shopper. So it allows them to reduce the transportation costs on ShipBob and use those savings to then redeploy to marketing and sales and then grow their customer base. Uh, That's part of our inventory placement program. And so for existing merchants, um, you know, they have a great experience on ShipBob. And and then as a result of their great experience, they're able to either reduce their cost or their customer NPS goes up. And as a result, hopefully they have more repeat purchase and they grow. So that's on the existing merchant side. And then on the new merchant side as well, I think most of our brands, you know, if they get started either doing it themselves, where they have their own warehouse, and or they were using a regional 3PL, they are doing the accounting on their side and say, hey, what are the ways for me to continue growing? And does it still make sense for me to operate my own warehouse or just use all of my warehousing from one location or take advantage of a growing network through ShipBob and reduce my overall cost by you know, having the inventory in the right locations? And so we are seeing a lot of brands sort of take advantage of our network and then come onto our platform. Gosh, I mean, that's that's fascinating. You make some good points, kind of going back to one of your original points about Shopify, a lot of large numbers which makes it, I think, all the more impressive, the growth of companies like Amazon and, and, and Shopify on that side. But I guess in terms of the 3PL side, you know, it, it sounds like the two places people were coming from, and this kind of resonates, are people who are doing it themselves, they're shipping out of a local facility that they may be leased, or they're using a 3PL kind of, quote unquote, in their neighborhood, down the street, you know, something they can touch and feel, especially if they're an entrepreneur. That's where like a lot of the SMBs come from. Where do you segment from someone who is an SMB 
into you getting the mid-market. How do you think about that transition? Is it a volume transition? Is it a channel capability transition? How would you mark like, this is an SMB merchant versus this is a mid-market merchant? Yeah, great question. And so for us, you know, those definition, definitions are fluid, but generally speaking, an SMB would be defined as, you know, less than, let's call it 10,000 or so shipments a month. And if you look at the profile of a SMB merchant, uh, the number of sales channels are generally limited as well. It could be from their own web store and maybe uh, on a couple of marketplaces like Amazon and Walmart. And, and their solution set is, their tech stack is also fairly defined, right? And in our space, Shopify is such a great solution for your web store. So that ends up being sort of the de facto standard. And then on the mid-market, it's, you know, the entry point, I guess, is maybe higher, more than 10,000 shipments a month, but it's usually in the 40 to 50,000 shipments a month and then goes all the way up. You know, the sky's the limit there. But, you know, we have brands in the mid-market space who are maybe upwards of 200 to $400 million of annual GMV on their on their storefront and all of the sales channels combined, which are using ShipUp. So mid-market becomes a pretty large bucket. We don't do enterprise, which might be considered north of maybe $500, $600 million of GMV, where the requirements and stuff are very different, where you might benefit from doing contract logistics with the Geodes or the GXOs of the world. Right. No, that makes sense. And look, it seems like at, at some point, you want to find someone to help you with that growth. The first thing you learn about as a brand is a 3PL. I don't care how many people you talk to in the industry, 3PL is like a four-letter word. Like everyone has a horror story with their 3PL, holding inventory. Why are people so distrustful of 3PLs as a rule? Over the last few years, I think things have gotten better, but I can generally get a sense because we were on the other side not that long ago, right? As a brand, especially on the SMB side, you have this limited amount of capital that you mm. have deployed into buying this inventory and now you have taken all of this capital and locked it into inventory and now send this inventory to this unknown place who you've probably never been to before. And now you have to rely and trust that this 3PL is going to take as good care of that inventory or your capital as you would have. And so that's a very high trust bar for a 3PL to, uh, to clear. And then every negative interaction that you have with a 3PL sort of, you know, compounds where you say, okay, this mm. 3PL is not taking care of that, my inventory and not treating me the way I would have treated myself. And so maybe that's sort of the starting point is because 3PLs are such an integral part for a brand's success. You know, there's a lot of partnership element here and the trust mm. needs to be very high on both sides for a successful outcome, especially maybe on the small side, because there's just very limited cushion if something goes wrong. And, right. and mid-market side, you're a lot comfortable. You've seen product market fit. Uh, you know, there's cash flow in your business and you're able to absorb some of the ebbs and flows of that relationship. Yeah. And look, I think your, your partnership comment is a super interesting one because this is not like a software business. And I think this is where a lot of people have gotten into the space and you came from the brand side, which actually seems like it helped you because you understand the mindset of the SMB merchant and then obviously ShipUp kept growing, you could treat the inventory like it's your own and in a sense kind of avoid the problem like, well, we're just going to outsource this. Somebody's going to handle it. We're going to sit in the middle. We're technology only. Having that operating experience seems like it was important to your development. Oh, yes. I think that is uh, extremely critical. 
I guess for twofold, right? And so when I started, right, why didn't most existing 3PLs want to work with the SMBs and generally also the mid-market is because the cost uh, to onboard and the cost to service these brands is extremely high. And so uh, for ShipBob to be successful, we had to do a bunch of things right. One, we had to figure out how do we enable the onboarding and the setup and the servicing for these SMB brands such that it still makes economic sense. And two, how can we make sure that for the actual operators on the full, inside the warehouses, they don't have to make all of the decisions themselves because it would be incredibly hard for them to keep you know, the directions right for brand A versus brand B, because we're going to have so many different brands warehoused in the same facility, which is very different when you are like a large enterprise player where that entire facility is just catering to your products only. Mm -hmm. And so for ShipBob, the first five years of our existence, and we're only nine years old now, the first five years, we uh, all of the company management, including me and Devay, my co-founder, we were inside the warehouses. Uh, we operated our own four buildings as well. And all, all of the things that are picking, stowing, packaging, labeling, transportation, all of those typical decisions that we were making ourselves in, uh, to run the operations got codified in the software lens. So we started off from the mm. operator's perspective and then built our software from the ground up, understanding the nuances of what the operating a great fulfillment center looks like. And that is a very different way to build your business versus coming in from the software lens first and say, I will be sort of a marketplace in the middle, connecting the brands with the right three PLs, which is you know some approach that Shopify took at some point as well, which did not effectively work out. And so... I think a lot of folks forget that it is not a pure tech play. It is, <laughs> right. requires a, a sort of a sort of a sum total of operational and software coming together to really make this work in this industry where the margin profile is very different compared to a pure software SaaS business. You bring up a, a couple of points, especially your last ones: operations, software, and margins. I mean, logistics is essentially a low-margin business. I, I, I wanted to pause for a second. Uh, at RMW Commerce here, we recently re- released a report on what I, I call like a new... It's not a software category, and it's not even a service category, but it's a set of software and services that I believe fit in this new category of a service provider called Fulfillment Accelerator. And particularly for the mid-market, you've solved, to your point, like you've solved product market fit, you're not enterprise. And so enterprises have owned facilities. They have dialed in operations. They have huge marketing budgets. You don't have that in the mid-market. You're trying to like essentially firefight every day what breaks in your business. How can I expand to different channels? How can I make sure I have much staff each day? How can my marketing team and my logistics teams coordinate, which we haven't talked about yet, which like really no one seems to figure it out. But let's say you're in a lease or a local facility, what's the first thing that breaks if you're a merchant as you're as you're growing? Yeah, as a, if you're in your own building, I think the first couple of things that really start driving all of your firefighting exercise is one, uh, labor management, which is today, it's a busy Monday, I have to staff up for all of the orders that I need to ship on time. And then a Friday is much slower than forecasted. So, but I still have all of this labor that I that I have planned for. And so your fixed costs on labor just 
start becoming a big portion of your of your mind share and being able to manage the labor and also you're growing right and so you have to constantly add and train and rehire employees in the fulfillment space and so that becomes a pretty hard exercise and then maybe the second one is also the capacity which is you can get a 50000 square feet warehouse to begin with and you you know you grow into that space and now suddenly for the next phase of your growth you will now need to double up your warehouse capacity to keep up with the revenue or your marketing sort of growth. And so every time you're chasing capacity to grow, which means adding in more fixed costs to your business, and then your software infrastructure, your inventory management, your order management, your labeling software, all of those have to scale right alongside you because the right solutions which work for a 50,000 square feet building don't really work for a 200,000 square feet building. And so it becomes, unless you have expertise yourself and most of these brands you know they are built by creators designers entrepreneurs who don't really have a supply chain background it is an incredibly hard thing for them to manage across labor capacity inventory management and by the way fulfillment and supply chain is the largest pnl item uh, largest item on your pnl and so if you're able to run it effectively and shave off a few points from your from your logistics costs that has a massive impact on your ebitda as well and so running a competitive supply chain is actually in your best interest as well. So for the spin market, I think supply chain, unless you partner with somebody really sophisticated, becomes sort of a exercise in, you know, which is very hard for you to wrangle on your own. Yeah. And you mentioned a few things there. I'm going to repeat them back. Labor forecast, you know, the capacity of the building you're in, the software tools that integrate with your channels, as well as your in-house software that runs your website and you know maybe your warehouse system and then and like your your teams have to talk to each other like literally how does your facility know what's going to drop on monday those things i find I, you walk into so many brand facilities as a, as a consultant i i do this as well and I'm, I'm like when's the last time your marketing team has talked to your operations and supply chain team? And the answer is never. It's really never. And how are people solving that? Like, look, it seems like even for a service provider like you guys, that's a challenge. And so how do you collaborate? Like, if you had to like draw out your ideal client process for collaborating on demand forecasting from a capture point of view, like we're going to run this sale, it's going to produce X orders. How do you envision that collaboration should happen? Well, I think one, your chief supply chain officer and your chief marketing officer, I guess, in the, in the most strictest of terms, should all be incentivized on the same goals, which is, you know, maybe revenue or EBITDA or whatever the company is driving for. And customer satisfaction or NPS is a common objective across the brand, not like a CMO's job function and the chief supply chain officer has a completely set different set of incentives that they are driving for. We see that very often. And so first, like incentivizing them to care about the same metrics, I think is critical. And then driving the supply chain not being the last point for the marketing team to engage with, but sort of being a part of the entire process and the decision making. Right. I'll give you a few practical areas where this collaboration is can be seen as valuable. One is when you're introducing a new skew, the dimensions of that skew really mm. impact the dimensional weight and the package weight and the cost of fulfilling that order because is is going to get way dependent and tied to the dimension of the product. So if the marketing team and the supply chain team 
and the merchandising team, I guess, had all collaborated to understand whether it makes sense for the product dimensions to be X versus Y and what is the actual weight of the package. And it can we shave off a few points of dimensional weight simply by making it different on the production line. That would have a dramatic impact without the supply chain team actually doing anything to reduce costs from the system. Same for like, you know, unboxing experience or customization, as we call it, which is mm. the marketing team is always coming up with new ways of uh, building brand loyalty. And so coming up with like, hey, we want this marketing insert to be added for the first time buyer versus a different one for the repeat buyer. And can we support sort of custom dunnage, which is custom crinkle paper mm-hmm. or something like engaging with the supply chain team to understand, hey, today, if this packaging line processes 20 orders an hour with standard pick pack flow, adding this extra touch, how does that influence the throughput of the building? And in the holiday season, when we are ramping up sales and marketing by 5x, how many more packers will we need to add to make that effective? I think, you know, it's a collaborative Mm -hmm. exercise. If done right, can really make the marketing and supply chain team work in sync. Versus right now, it seems in a lot of cases, it's marketing versus supply chain, where supply chain team saying marketing is coming up with unreasonable ask and the, and the marketing team believing that the supply chain team is not agile enough to respond to to their creative asks. That's fascinating. Look, the, the picture you're painting is having the supply chain team part of defining a great customer experience for your end consumers, which I think is a... I don't say revolutionary, but it, it definitely seems rare in a lot of companies. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, no, that and that is the need uh, for for us for these brands, especially in this environment that we are in right now, where you know there is no free capital. Investors are not showing up mm. with uh, with any more incremental dollars to to invest in, and so brands really have to show leverage on their fixed costs and really drive towards profitability. And so, working in sync with the supply chain team in helping drive improvement on the largest line item for your PL has a mm. dramatic impact for these no, guys. That's that's fascinating. One of the things that we call out in the report and, and you talk about getting leverage on your on your fixed costs and, and particularly like if you're investing in a facility which you know might make sense for certain products and then certain other types of abilities it might make sense to outsource to a 3PL or a 4PL partner. In the industry, it seems to be like a lot of people talk about either or. Either I build a warehouse or I just give all my business to Amazon or Geodis or or someone like this. Why could it be both or even multiple 3PLs for a growing brand? Yeah, uh, well, I think your report uh, highlights that. I think it actually should be and if you are absolutely already operating your business in, in, from your own warehouse, which has a lease out for the next few years, is that is a great way for maybe, let's say you have a warehouse in Florida because that's where your business was located and that's where you started your business from. You should still operate that building, but work with companies maybe like ShipBob where you are able to take advantage of our network for the remainder of the regions where your customers are located and have Shibob run uh, you know, fulfillment for a set of, or set of orders which are not in Florida. This way, you get the benefits of running your own building 
making sure that building has order throughput that, such that you it still is economically beneficial for you and still take advantage of the capabilities of an outsource fulfillment partner where by positioning inventory in those right locations close to the end shopper, you're reducing your overall cost of fulfillment for those orders and having then ship Bob or an outsource fulfillment provider and your own building not be on separate solution sets because that again introduces complexity of tying in data from all of these different vendors together. And so having some sort of a common unifying layer, which is running your own building and yet sort of running your outsource portion of your network, I think is a pretty sort of a maybe a revolutionary idea, which I don't think a lot of companies and brands are thinking of, but I think it is probably the way to unlock scale while continuing to maintain control. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you think about a lot of people in marketing understand the kind the concept of multi-channel and oh I'm going to be and I'm going to have a DTC site I'm going to be on Amazon I'm going to be on Walmart maybe I'm going to I would like my product to appear in Walmart or Target one day I know I need to be wherever the consumer is and then on the logistics front they kind of feel like one single provider needs to do everything when it doesn't necessarily have to be the case if the software is common. And I think on the software side, it, it sort of plays to that as well. But I think a lot of people forget that on the logistics front. Totally, totally. I think that the piece that you brought up around uh, multi-channel and, and then using software as a way to orchestrate all of the different actions needed to fulfill all of your orders across all of the different sales channels, I think is is key here. And that, I think that's the advantage of working with a neutral supply chain platform company uh, where you can use that same, that like for Shiba, right? We, the benefit of using somebody like us is that we're not directly married to one channel. So as a brand, you can introduce Shibob and we use that same common pool of inventory to fulfill orders for all of the different sales channels that, that you might be connected into. And so unlike maybe Amazon or FBA, where that inventory has been reserved for Amazon mm. or Walmart, uh, Walmart fulfillment only for Walmart, this way for the brands, they are seeing capital efficiency even on the inventory because now this inventory is fungible across all of the sales channels, which is awesome for the marketing person because then they can reallocate their marketing spend across different channels without having to necessarily figure out whether they have availability of stock against that channel. And you can retain inventory maybe for your wholesale or retail business, maybe in your own building, if that's what you're good at, or vice versa. And so it allows you to have a lot of flexibility for your logistics and supply chain, which is traditionally considered sort of a way, sort of a fixed, you know, which is hard to change a solution. Yeah. And and you mentioned the software, and I, I want to keep pulling on this thread a little bit. I think a lot of people probably don't even know that ShipUp has its own WMS. That's independent of the facilities. And even just what is a WMS? I think for a lot of brands in the audience, it's kind of a foreign concept because you start a brand, you're not, again, like you said, you're not a warehouse expert. What do I have? I have my Shopify or BigCommerce or WooCommerce or whatever it is. And I have, if I have inventory that's not in there, it, 100% it's in the Google Sheet. And you're website is connected to a ship station. And that's like 95% of the people out of the gate. But these systems are not meant to run 10,000 parcels a month, 50,000 parcels a month. Where does the advantage of a WMS come in? And if, if I'm a brand that doesn't know, like, what's a WMS? Why could it benefit me? 
how would you characterize that? Yeah, a good question. And so when we were on the brands, uh, and if somebody had asked us, hey, why don't you use a WMS? We would have... What's a WMS? What's a WMS? <laughs> right. And so, for, so warehouse management software uh, system, it is effectively a, a solution for you to manage all of your orders, manage all of your inventory, and provide instructions for your warehouse associates to perform the basic activities inside the fulfillment center. And so the setup you described which is Shopify, Wix, Squarespace, whatever you're using in your storefront, connected into ShipStation, and then ShipStation effectively as a solution for my label generation. Mm -hmm. And so I sync all my orders, I hit print, and it prints 100 orders, uh, 100 shipping labels, and 100 packing slips. I give it to my warehouse associate, and now they're responsible for going to the right location inside the warehouse to you know, to grab the inventory, put it in a box and ship it and print the and, and uh, stick the shipping label. And what happens is very quickly, you lose count of how much inventory is actually in that shelf location. Mm. Uh, and because your Google Sheet is, line, is sort of <laughs> operating in, in isolation. And so the picker, uh, the warehouse associate goes to that location and now you they're actually out of inventory. So now they don't know or they have to call you to figure out where in the warehouse is the reserve inventory so that you can pull from that reserve inventory into this location. So that's like the inventory management as a function is completely missing in that mm. in that solution set. Then on the labor side, you are printing all these packing slips on a piece of paper, right? And then you are grabbing the right items and it works for the first six to eight people inside the warehouse because they're really passionate and they get your product and they've been super well-trained by you. But now as your business has grown, you are adding two or three new people every month. Or you're, or you're, you know, you're losing people, so you're, you're backfilling those roles. In the peak season, when your business explodes, you're bringing in seasonal labor who have never interacted with your brand before. And suddenly, in the absence of any sort of uh, solution set, you're relying on these relatively undertrained employees to still be able to pick the right products, mm. put them in the right box, and follow your manually set processes, sort of applying their own intuition on what is the right thing to do. And it becomes really hard for you to do that effectively at scale. And think of inventory management, think of labor management, think of all of the processes inside the warehouse, and imagine a great solution to coordinate all of those activities such that you as a brand uh, operator don't have to get involved in every picker, every packer, every sort of activity inside the warehouse. That's effectively what a great WMS solution should be able to do for you. Got it. That's a great description. So uh, I'm hearing essentially inventory management and labor management and visibility. I think a lot of people in the audience might say like, well, my my inventory is in my e-commerce software. But if that that's true if you're a marketer, but not if you're a picker. You need to know where to go to get the item. And is it accurate when you get there? And you, know, you read stories about how Amazon manages its warehouse all items for one SKU aren't on one shelf. They're randomized throughout the warehouse by design so that pickers don't interfere with each other and the robots can go to different locations. And you could never do that in a Google spreadsheet. <laughs> no. And also the accuracy, right? Like Amazon does this random storage concept. Also because, to your point, like they don't want to rely on the picker to make the right decision. They want the picker to scan the item's barcode and, and let the system validate if the picker has picked the right item. But in a warehouse, you know, your two SKUs might look very similar to an untrained set of eyes. And so your inability to not have a, your, to scan a barcode and validate whether the picker is actually picking a right product, I think 
impacts the inventory accuracy that you're hoping to be accurate on the storefront. Because now if you ship 10 incorrect items, the blues instead of the greens, you need to now reconcile on your inventory on your website to make sure now you reflect what you actually shipped out. And then if you got some returns back or return to senders, that inventory, again, has to be reconciled into your storefront. So unless there is a common source of truth on the inventory management layer, it would be very hard for your storefront inventory to be accurate. Right. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think you know, a, a lot of these people, when, when you think about their inventory, the value of those solutions, I think, becomes apparent once you make the mistakes and and not before you know once you have a bunch of pickers sitting around wondering what to do next that's that seems like a lot of challenges you know for for brands that might be in this middle layer maybe they you know maybe they're shipping 5 6000 parcels a month units a month and they're thinking about like okay there's this whole world that i don't know anything about now, I would love to like wrap up the show a little bit with like your advice for them because you have all these things. You have channels, you have locations, you have global considerations, inventory management, labor management, software, service levels, KPIs. What is the philosophy that they should have in their mind as they navigate this new world? Yeah, good question. Uh, well, one is to find the right partners, I think, to help manage the complexity of your growing business. And that right partner could be a combination of, you know, outsourcing portions of your fulfillment while continuing to run your own building, but figuring out the solution set to make that happen. So finding the right partner to finding the right partner and asking the right questions around metrics, uh, which are important to you as a business, such that you're not blindsided by anything after that decision has been made of choosing the right partner. So being very thoughtful in your consideration set. Maybe that would be another question. And third is then always sort of holding the partner, sort of building this as a sort of a partnership, really, instead of just mm. being a solution set provider, where both you and the, your, the partner that you choose, if you choose to outsource, are both incentivized to make your business and brand successful. And so constant quarterly business reviews, making sure that the KPIs that you believe are important for your business are being held. You're, you're holding the, your 3PL to that, to that particular brand standard, I think. I would think those are like the, I guess, yeah, would be the top two or three things I would think about. Yeah. And I think maybe being comfortable with letting go of all your inventory. I think that's maybe for the brand. And I, I know this as a, as having operated a brand <laughs> myself is the hardest part. And so trust and uh, is an important element here. No, I mean, letting go. I said this was the last question, but I have to get in another one. You said asking right questions about metrics. Is there any particular question that you think if I'm a brand looking to evaluate many different software and service providers in the supply chain space, in addition to ShipBob, not to mention, what are a couple of questions about metrics that you would recommend being a former brand owner yourself? Metrics, again, might be a little tailored to your brand, but hey, very basic ones around, you know, what are your throughput numbers? So in a building, how many orders are you shipping such that I can understand if I have, you know, if I have my order volume is this, will this particular warehouse be able to handle my outbound volume? Some metrics around inbound accuracy. Can you? What are your processes if inventory does get lost or damaged? Because things like that happen all the time. So being very clear on what this 3PL or partners uh, philosophy on those items is so that you can you know, include that in when you are making your decision. And finally, maybe the most important one is, look, 
we are on the side of providing a service. Of course, we're going to answer these questions. Ask us for references. Ask us to provide you introductions to any two or three merchants that the that the 3PL feels comfortable with. And then asking that same or similar set of questions to those reference brands to get a better sense. Because I think to a large extent, you know, supply chain is such an important element for a brand's success. Getting that decision right is very important. And there is no one size fits all. Yeah, and and, and look, it's... Once you're with a provider, it's very transparent what's going on. But before you're with them, it's hard to know what's going on. And so asking the right questions, I think, is important. The things I took away, throughput numbers, ensuring that they're going to handle the volume that you're bringing, inbound accuracy. That's that's something I don't hear a lot of people ask. Meaning like when you ship products to the 3PL or fulfillment partner, what percentage of it goes lost? missing, is put away wrong. Is that what you mean on that one? Yeah. Uh, well, not only on the put away, but uh, yeah, like there's going to be, every business should have an acceptable limit for a shrinkage, right? Which is I ship you 100 units. Best case scenario, all 100 units are sellable, but that is the ideal case scenario. There's a 2 to 3% shrinkage, which should be in your tolerance limits. So this way, if instead of the 100 units, actually at the end of the month, I could reconcile only to like 98 units, whether that is 98 whether that's 99 or whether that's 90 or whether that's 80, you will see a gamut right. of you know responses. So being clear on what that acceptable range is uh, to be able to factor that in in your in your forecast right. for the for the for the year. And, and being able to ask the references so you can actually get real empirical data for what's happening and not just sort of what's on someone's website, which seems like important. Well, well, Drew, I mean, this has been literally an absolute treat. It, it's great to learn about your journey talk shop with a little logistics, which I know is super interesting and relevant to a lot of Watsonians out there. If folks in the audience wanted to learn more about ShipBob or your own journey and reach out, how would they do so? Oh, they can always email me at dsaxena at shipbob.com. Awesome. Or you can visit, obviously, the website, shipbob.com. Everyone already knows that. But um, appreciate you being on the show, Drew. Like, thank you so much for having me and for all of your amazing reports and the LinkedIn updates. Do uh, You have a lot of fans inside ShipBob. Awesome. I, I appreciate it, Drew. Have a great day. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez, production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.